Hari Folker, Dave. Um, so before we take the questions, is there anything you want to share? Well, yeah, we won't have interruption in the uh, call, I don't think, because I'm in a different location um, with good internet. So, and we were still trying to fix the situation at Adari with that in that regard, but um, it's a work in progress. But today, um, I am in a different location. So I, I'm, I'm actually in south of San Francisco at uh, Rin Runya's mother's house, where her mother has kindly, over the years, given me a room whenever I want to come down here. And, and um, I've come down here because I'm on the way to Madhavan, which um, is exciting. And I'm leaving tomorrow, so it's, it's you know, it's, it's close to the airport and so forth. Otherwise, Adari is about three hours away from the airport. It's easier for me to come down here. And she has a nice arrangement for me. She's been a big help to us over the years. She gave the money for building the temple at Adaria and, and, um, and other things. Financially, she's helped us a lot, which, uh, I've been thinking about since I've been down here the last day or so. Um, She's quite older, older now, and about 10 years older, older than me, um, and uh, from Sweden. Nice, nice lady. And um, it's nice to see that she has gotten Sukriti for Bhakti, and she's got a beautiful daughter <laughs> in uh, in Brindarania, who's, as everyone knows, I think, or maybe some of you don't, because you're knew her very dear to me and since she was in her teens and joined me she's must be 50 now or so um so um yeah she's been a, a, a tremendous help to me we're working on she's my main editor she took up the we wouldn't have books if it weren't for her she began uh, taking my talks and turning them into little pamphlets when she just after she joined I think before she even got second initiation. So she has some natural aptitude and inclination for bhakti and Bodhi Vaishnavas. And once, once I had my palm read and, you know, I met a palmist, so I'll read my palm and he found her on my palm and engraved on my palm from a previous life coming to uh, assist me. So, um, I thought was thought a bit about that, and then I'm going to Madhavan. We wouldn't have Madhavan without her either. It was her whole her, her whole idea, and the uh, sacrifices and austerity that she put in to help make that happen. It's a book you know, in itself. And now, with regard to my book, we're we're working together on finalizing this style sheet. You know, we we take quite a long time to do this books so once they're written. <laughs> bring them out and some of you may be wondering about that but um, she's very 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 thorough and it you know makes for the product that we have it's a, it's a huge contribution that uh, she makes to that and um, so we're going over and finalizing today we'll finalize it the style sheet that Haridas worked on to begin with um, which is quite extensive a style sheet is that is that which you put together that demonstrates well or tells the copy edited, the, the, the proofreaders, this should be in italics, this should be hyphenated, this should be dealt with like this, and so on. And it's a huge list because it's a big book and there's lots of, you know, italicized and hyphenated words, whether they should be hyphenated, capital. It's a, it's a real, um, kind of a nightmare of a thing in, in a way to put together, but we're finalizing that today and then the first part of the book will go to Lita Saki, hopefully she has time. I haven't talked to her yet, but to begin the, uh, the proofreading on that while they, her, Rinder and Nibirnish to polish the rest of the book. So I've been, I've been kind of just, uh, reflecting on all that, uh, all that, um, you know, my book and what's, that it takes to bring out the books and the history of it and the history of why I'm here and where I'm going and so forth. And, 
I don't know, it's, it's, it's made me um, just that much more appreciative of Rinran and her kind of contribution. Um, some of you don't know her, so it's worth saying it. Um, no one has shed more blood, I don't think, to help me. And no one understands me better than her, and no one is more reclusive <laughs> in one sense <laughs> than, uh, uh, of, of a person, so it's hard to understand her, but um, that's what I've been thinking about, so you asked. Uh, uh, so why don't we go ahead and take the questions? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Brenda Rennie Kijai. So Krishna Das. Uh, Dhanava Pranams. Good morning, Guru Maharaj. Good morning. Um, so my question is uh, regarding a few statements uh, that I've heard you say, or it's kind of like a running theme throughout several of your lectures, um, I guess regarding the nature of bhakti compared to jnana and karma, uh, specifically, uh, you know, that often it's, or I guess this is paraphrasing, but, you know, speaking of it in that um movement in the world under the influence of karma is characterized by dissatisfaction and um, you're trying to act to contact sense objects to feel satisfied, whereas in Gyan movement is stilled because now there is satisfaction, um, realizing one is Atma. And in Bhakti, uh, beyond both karma and Gyan movement is characterized by not lack, but an overflow of fullness and that one is beyond just satisfied. So um, my question is, why is it that in many instances advanced Vaishnavas express what externally appears to be strong dissatisfaction and lamentation, particularly in their um, humble declarations of sometimes of themselves as having no love of God or being plagued by material desires when in fact they have no material desires and have incredibly high and pure love of God? So this is a bit confusing to me because on the one hand, it makes sense that humility can lead one to speak in such ways, but um, because these sadhus have, you know, such high realization um, and uh, high degree of immersion in bhakti, wouldn't they naturally feel incredibly joyful and uh, like the overflowing of fullness that you um, speak about and express that uh, externally? So uh, could you please clarify this? Yes, well, of course, um, when we speak about bhakti, it's helpful sometimes to think of it as love in the world, although there's a difference, obviously. Um, but it is not still and is a movement and there's ups and downs in it. Hmm? So we have the classical notion of union and separation, for example, in the Leela. I've compared it to the high and low tide of the ocean. So in the um, uh, dissatisfaction in the sense of lacking uh, and so forth that's expressed I know this is not exactly what you're talking about but I'll get to that in in, in separation um, in love it, it, it sounds miserable hmm? but Chaitanya Charitamrita says uh, what is that verse I've cited many times um, um uh, the nature of Prem, Krishna Prem and Adbhuta Charit, the wonderful character of Prem is Bhaya Bisha. I don't want to say it, but I got it. <laughs> I remember it. Bhaya Bisha, Bisha Bhaya, I think I got it. Bhaya Bisha and on the uh, inside it's like poison, but outside like poison. Bhitare Anandamoy, Krishna Prem and Adbhuta Charit. On the inside, it's full of ananda. But on the outside, it looks like this person must have drank poison. He looks pretty bad. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu weeping. Uh, and uh, who wants to end up like that? Mm-hmm. Um, incapable of you know, functioning in the world and so forth. But such is the nature of the ananda as it expresses itself outwardly in separation. So... There is a place for expressing dissatisfaction in the, in, the, in, 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 with regard to the highest attainment, even though, um, um, 
what's being expressed is arising out of um, the deepest sense of satisfaction and, and fulfillment, mm-hmm. love of Krishna. Now, um, when you speak of uh, devotees saying things about themselves, let's say, let's take the famous example of uh, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, who uh, said that uh, uh, I am lower than a worm uh, in, 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 in stool and uh, anyone who uh, hears my name will become uh, uh, it will be impious you know to to hear my uh, uh, encounter to hear my name and and who speaks my name will commit an impious act and so forth so these are uh, so these are the kind of statements that I think that you you know you're asking about why doesn't he feel full and complete and why does he depict himself as low and having material desires and so on and so forth? Well, one thing about the nature of bhakti uh, is that as the finite um, or the infinitesimal comes in connection with the finite, with the infinite, he, he naturally, uh, the, the finite naturally feels what it's like to be finite in comparison to the infinite. And so there are moments like this in uh, in bhakti where we come in touch with with Bhagavan, and and also we know there are experiences that I've come in touch with this wonderful source of myself in the form of Bhagavan Sri Krishna only by His grace. Although the fact is, there's a lot of effort that we put in. The experience is that the effort does not compare to the grace that's involved. I've given the example that if you're out in the field and you fall in a dry well, how are you going to get out? And so you have to yell for help. Someone will come and throw you a rope. They'll tell you to hold on to that. You have to make the effort to hold on to it. But when they pull you up, you don't think, boy, I sure held on to that rope. Great. That's not even in your mind. It's just that I had, I yelled. That's what I did. And, and I got help and, here I am, you know, standing on firm ground again, above ground again, only by the grace of, you know, even uh, even my yell is, you know, is is not the core cause of my um, being rescued. You are. So this is an analogy to help us understand how the devotees, as they advance, feel. Even as from our perspective, they put in a lot of effort and they're pure and, and so on and so forth. Their uh, uh, tendency is to magnify hmm, their shortcomings in light of whom they're in touch with. It has no shortcomings hmm, whatsoever and no even capacity to be in this situation. Which the Buddha Jeev, the Tusta Jeev has. It has the capacity to be in this situation. Krishna has no capacity. His, his eternal associates have no capacity to be in this situation. So there's a difference. And so there's a magnification, so to speak, of one's faults that from our perspective, we wouldn't think of them as faults. Let's take let me give you an example to illustrate this point. Madhavendra Puri, who could be a greater devotee than Madhavendra Puri? Of course, there are many who could be greater than, who is the best. Um, and, but um, Madhavendra Puri went from Vrindavan to um, Orissa, all the way across India on foot in order to gather some sandalwood which was available at at that distant location to bring back to his deity uh, in Vrindavan who complained about the heat sandalwood is you grind the sandalwood with water and it turns into a paste and you apply it to your 
Your forehead light and it's, has a cooling effect, right? So this is the service he did, and the effort that he made was considerable. That's a long walk, and he had to walk back, and he had to walk back carrying sandalwood. So in the context of his journey, um, he had the darshan of uh, Chirchor Gopinath, who's named after um, the darshan that he afforded um, Madhubandapuri. Madhubandapuri had the darshan, and he tasted the sweet rice that is offered daily to Gopinath. His name is Gopinath. Tasting the sweet rice, it was so unbelievable that he a desire manifested in his heart to to know how to prepare that sweet rice so that he could offer it to his Gopal deity when he returned. Exactly what they put in it. And then, you know, he left the temple. But then he began to think, just see, I really wanted to just taste. I probably just wanted to taste sweet rice myself. He started thinking like this about himself. This wasn't true. But in his his humility, uh, this is how he naturally felt. Meanwhile, Gopinath, in the night, appeared in a dream, in a dream to the Pujari, and said, "I have taken the sweet rice and put it underneath my 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 dress, hidden it there, a portion of it, and I want you to find this Madhavendrapuri and give it to him." Hmm? Uh, so that he may know how to taste it by, and explain to him whatever, how it's made and so forth. So, so the Pujari was stunned at Darshan, the Darshan in his dream of the deity and he went out of the marketplace. Where's Madhavendrapuri? Where's Madhavendrapuri? Gopinath has stolen sweet rice for him. So he became known as Chirachor, who steals the sweet rice, Gopinath, based on, so the fault of Madhavendrapuri was not a fault, but in his own mind, he was thinking like that um, uh, for reasons that I've uh, explained. It's uh, what you know. What is the mercy of Sri Krishna when it's fully attained? One thinks I'm completely unworthy of this, and the natural it's a natural feeling. So, um, so we find those types of expressions in in poems of. Uh, of many devotees and it's a sign of their satisfaction although it's expressed as uh, dissatisfaction loss and uh, faults uh, on, on, on their part does that help? Uh, yes that, that makes a lot of sense so I guess it's like a um, out of the fullness of having attained Prem they externally express things that are appear differently. That that's sort of what I'm understanding. Is that right? Well, yeah. Um, uh, let's let me give you another example to close with. Have you heard of a lover's quarrel? It's not something you don't want to get in the middle of. It's thought to be an expression of love. Because if you didn't love the person, you wouldn't get that up, upset about it. And so you have a quarrel. It, those who understand this is a lover's quarrel, I'm not going to get in the middle of this because they're both going to end up criticizing me because they actually love one another. And this is an expression of that love that doesn't look like love, but it is. Radha gets mad at Krishna. And she is. <laughs> And she says, I don't love him. I wouldn't want to be around him. If you listen carefully, those who can actually hear, all they can hear is, I want to be with him. I want to be with him. I want to be with him. Don't ever bring that scoundrel around here again. He's gone off with, with Chandravali instead of meeting me. That's where he's been. I never want to see his face again. Oh, he's a, he, he ruined my reputation. So her, her handmaidens, all they can hear is she wants to be with Krishna. She wants to be with Krishna. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Guru Maharaj. Yeah.
Shri Krishna, Sri Jai, Sri Radhe, Sri Jai. Another question? Um, Sumati has a question. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I can't wait to see you in March. Yeah. Um, so my, my question is about the Brahma Vimohan Leela. And um, I'm reading Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary from the 10th Canto. And he's saying how um, Krishna did not reveal to Balaram what was going on after um, Brahma stole the calves and the cowherd boys because he did not want Balaram to suffer any separation from his friends. So Balaram was also covered by Mahamaya, not Mahamaya, Yogamaya. Um, so when you speak of Brahma Vimoha, it's Rama Vimoha. Uh, right. So um, then Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, Krishna himself did not suffer from any separation because he was close to them in an expanded form that searched for their calves. So I was wondering if you could explain that. I never heard that before, that during that year, Krishna was also in another form with the original boys and calves? I think that, um, yes, the the idea is this, that um, uh, Krishna was uh, lunching with his friends and Brahma came on the scene. And seeing this scene, he wasn't sure what was going on. He had seen Krishna before at the dawn of creation. But he was speaking the four essential verses of the Bhagavatam and blessed him with the Gyan Mudra. And now he was holding the sweet rice and, and fruit in his hand, left hand and, and acting in a way that, um, is for people, uh, who don't follow even the rules of Varnashram, children, you know, um, and, and meanwhile, he had been praised by the gods who saw him um, slay our liberate Agasura. So Brahma's coming into weigh in on this. And um, and so, of course, that's why he then wanted to test who this Krishna was. Is this an imp- He could have been thinking, is this an imposter? So there's really, if we look really carefully at this, there's no blemish really on Brahma's part. Brahma thought he was in a big, a big offender. And Krishna arranged the whole thing also to enlighten Brahma. Mm-hmm. So, so we can, we can exonerate Brahma really of any offense, but in his own mind, he doesn't think like that. At any rate, uh, he came in and he exercised his power. Um, um, and, um, um, by which he thought he had accomplished Stealing the calves and the coward boys. But this, what, what happened was that, um, the cows wandered off and the boys were concerned. Krishna said, I will go and fetch them. Mm-hmm. I'll be back in a minute. Mm-hmm. He went and he came back in a minute. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. He went and came back in a minute, but that and brought the calves back because they were never really stolen. And the boys were never really stolen because Brahma doesn't have the power to mm. cover over and delude and separate these eternal associates from Krishna. Hmm? So what happened was Krishna manifested separate Mayak kind of duplications, duplicates of himself and the calves of the boys and the calves that Brahma put in the cave hmm? and the actual boys and calves just carried on with their leela. Meanwhile, Krishna at the same time manifested himself as all the calves and all the coward boys. So this is three different prakashas wow. that this is going on in. In one prakash, there's the Mayak boys over in the, in the cave with, with, if you will, with, 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 with the calves. In another one, Krishna is just carrying on with his leela. Nothing happened. Hmm? And the coward boys are experiencing that. So in that, in that Prakash, Krishna's not experiencing any separation from them. And then in, in the other Prakash, 
which is manifest for the purpose of um, fulfilling the ambitions of the of the of the sadhana siddhas who attained Vatsali Rasa, who wanted to have Krishna, who 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 had who serve Krishna in Vatsali Rasa, like cows, like the mothers and fathers of the other coward boys. Um, they have a maternal relationship with Krishna, but and it's full, but he's still not exactly their son. So he made him himself exactly their son by manifesting himself in the form of the coward boys. Hmm? So he's he's accomplishing obviously many things at once. He's quite quite a quite a clever fellow. And so for that purpose and um for uh also showing who he was to Brahma, what is his own power, which as uh, a point of tattva that Brahma now gets in place and he understands Krishna's do Bhagavan Swayam. Now that he has it in place, he can shift from a Vaidhi Bhakti Marg orientation to a Rag Marg Bhakti orientation and attain his ideal as he did as Bhakti Thakur explains as Haridas Thakur. Hmm? Through Nam, Nam Bhajan, in Gorlila, you can argue he became a Saka. Hmm. Uh, so, this is all happening in different prakashas or different sections of the Leela that are all, all going on at the same time. Hmm. Does that help? Yes. It's a head spinning well, Leela for sure. My mind around it, but. <laughs> yeah, but Brahma couldn't wrap his four heads around it. So. <laughs> I'm going to go into this, uh, Brahma Mohan Leela in, in Madhavan for my lectures oh, and in, in, interface the narrative with Brahma's reflections on them in the form of his prayers. So, uh, of course, I've written about it as well, but I'll elaborate hopefully on what I've written and, um, it'll be there for you to listen to over the next month. Jai. Thank you. Gopal, Gopal Krishna Ki Jai. Jai. Next question. Um, Prem Das has a question and it's in the chat. Okay. Um, let me scroll up. Okay. So from the Bhagavad Gita, we learn that Paramatma is a witness who sanctions the fulfillment of the desires of both materialists and Krishna's devotees. What criteria is Paramatma driven by when fulfilling or nor not fulfilling the desires of a living entity. Can you read it once more? Yeah. Um, so from the Bhagavad Gita, we learn that Paramatma is the witness who sanctions the fulfillment of the desires of both materialists and Krishna's devotees. What criteria is Paramatma driven by when fulfilling or nor not fulfilling the desires of a living entity. You can also scroll up and see it because it's in the chat for everyone. It. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, and we talked about this a little bit, I think last week and I've written about it in the past as well. Um, the, in the course of bhakti, then the paramatma feature of of Bhagwan, Paramatma is a feature of Bhagwan, and partial expression of himself, if you will, as the oversoul of the world in three forms, Mahavishnu, Garbhadaksha Vishnu, Shirodaksha Vishnu. Um, in the course of their, their bhakti, this Paramatma, is replaced, if you will, from the heart with their, with, with Gopal Krishna, hmm? with Radha and Krishna, uh, uh, the Krishna Brata. Uh, and this comes out, as I mentioned in the Shikshastakam, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, Nadanam, Nadanam, Nasundarim, Kabitam, Vajavadishakam. I don't have any reason, any, any aspirations, worldly aspirations. So the Lord of the world, the Jagadishwar, 
um, is no longer a concern for me. But Mama Janmani Janmanishwari Bhavata Bhakti, I only want Bhakti to the Lord. Now he's speaking of the Lord of my heart, the Lord of my Pranath, who I'm living for. Well, Krishna's become taken a place of the Paramat for the devotees. Now I know that's not your question, but um, um, when we say that the Paramat, you did say the Paramat fulfills the, the fulfills the desires. I guess for Bhakti, you're thinking of of the devotees who think more that Krishna is fulfilling the desire, not the Paramatma feature, because it's Krishna whom we're approaching hmm, directly, and He has the capacity to hear our prayers, even though He's wrapped in the embrace of Radha or lamenting that He doesn't have her embrace and pouring His heart out to Subal Saka hmm, uh, about that dilemma. Hmm. So that's one thing. Now. Uh, what is the, I think it is, what, what is the position or what, what, what's going on with Paramatma fulfilling the desires of the ordinary jivas? Um, let me see what exactly did you say? Um, oh, I don't see it in the chat. Mm. Um, but at any rate, Paramatma is rather, uh, neutral, um, he doesn't have pastimes, so to speak, like Krishna. He's more depicted as a witness. And as a witness, he witnesses the acts of the jivas in whose heart he's present, which warrant either reward or punishment, which is the function not per, not per se of Vishnu, the Paramatma, but of material nature. In other words, if the jiva has exploited material nature, material nature is going to want to get um, um, a, a return. There, there. Uh, if you put you know money in the machine, you know something's going to come out. Something's going to come back at you. So how we interact with the Maya Shakti has consequences. Hmm? In my, but in, but Maya Shakti cannot function in terms of rewarding a system of rewards and punishment that correspond with the acts of the jivas without the sanction of Paramatma because she is his Shakti. So he does not have a relationship with the Maya Shakti like he has with the Sarup Shakti. But he has a relationship with her. It's his shadow, if the Sarup Shakti is his, is his light, if you will. Um, um, she's the dark side of his, of Krishna Chandra, you know, the moon, Krishna, the Krishna moon. So the moon has a bright side, has a dark side. So the dark side is, is, is obscuring the Jiva's understanding of his position and the position of Bhagwan and the Jeeva is fostering that obscuration by the exercise of, of, of its will, which we do all the time, right? We do things that, that warrant a particular action. We're, we're acting in ignorance, um, with it, the form of which is attachment, which warrants a reaction that's not knowledge <laughs> only indirectly we can we can we can get knowledge from ignorance if we observe the results of our ignorance we can kind of sort it out and stop acting in that way to, to some extent um, but the point is that material nature whose f- function is to is to uh, reciprocate with the jivas who are interacting with her um, in ways that are appropriate. That's karma. But she can't do that without Vishnu's sanction. So he gives the sanction. That's what he does. He gives the sanction. That's that's what he's doing. He's not uh, saying this should happen to that one, that should happen to this one. Um, but there's a, there's a very complex 
system we call karma that Krishna says in the Gita, you can't sort it all out. Why exactly this happened? Why exactly you got this result? And you would need a, uh, a computer that's bigger than, you know, the one that runs Bitcoin or something. You know, you can't, you know, it's, it's, you can't, it's, it's, uh, the data, you know, that it works with is, uh, every thought, every blink of the eye of every being, you know, it's recorded and, and computed and, and a result is, is put out. And Vishnu goes, okay, yep, that's right. Got that right. Got that right. Something like that. So he's a bit re- removed. Um, but he's also said to Paramatma to be waiting for the jiva to turn. And, and despite the jiva's material sojourn with its material ups and downs, he stays with the jiva waiting to turn him for him to turn. And when the jiva turns inward, hmm, then it said, Guru Krishna Prasadi Bhai Bhakti Bridge. The outer form of the inner guide appears as, uh, as the Mahant, as, as the Guru, to bring us to, uh, to Krishna himself, who the Paramatma, as I say, is a partial manifestation of. So I hope that answers your question. If not, you can give us some further uh, feedback as we go forward now. Um, and take, and take another question. Indra has a follow-up question. Okay. Um, she says, how does the transition from Paramatma to Krishna in the heart happen? Is it gradual or overnight when we as sadhakas pass a certain threshold? And then in parentheses, she says, in our sincerity to surrender. Well, it's, it should be there and immediately in, in our, in our own minds. We should make Krishna our deity. Not, not the four-armed Vishnu, uh, who is, um, kind of, uh, for the sake of meditation described as standing in the heart, size of the thumb. That's, that's for conceptualization, uh, conceptualizing something that's beyond the mind, but we use the mind uh, to help us get beyond it through such conceptualizations uh, in yoga, meditating on Vishnu, the Ishwar in the heart. So we are have adhikar for bhakti. So therefore, our deity is is Krishna and Krishna Krishna bhakti. Our deity is two-handed Krishna in Vrindavan. This is what's given to us by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we make a deity. Uh, we worship a deity like this, and we should think he is the Lord of my heart from very day one. But the extent to which we have material desires, we may still be under the jurisdiction then of the, um, the Paramatma who, who oversees the world of those desires. Therefore, as I say, when we come to the stage of Ruchi where there is no more material desire, well, we're not under his jurisdiction in any way any longer. Hmm? So there's a difference between conceptualization and then the fact, if you will. Hmm? Um, But the fact that we're under the influence of still of, of material nature, we may still have material desires and so forth. Um, and we haven't attained the stage of Ruchi, uh, uh, doesn't change the fact that our deity is Krishna and that we can think that Krishna is doing this rather than the Paramatma. Hmm? Krishna is doing it. He may be, Paramatma may be witnessing, sanctioning, but we also think actually what's happening is something a little different than what would have happened hmm? if I was involved in Krishna Bhakti. So, so you should think immediately. You shouldn't think, I'll meditate on the Paramatma first, and then gradually I'll meditate upon Krishna. Hmm? Um, in the begin, in the beginning of Sukadev's speech to Marj Pariksit in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, he begins by speaking about the universal form of the Lord. He speaks about the Paramatma form of the Lord. 
but this is thought to be for other people in the audience who don't have the adhikar of Parikshit. We may not be as advanced as Parikshit, but we're following the the in the footsteps, so to speak, of his bhakti and his, his adhikar for bhakti, which um, 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 it makes him a worshiper of Krishna. So those are some thoughts on that. I hope that helps. Um, so the next question was actually another question that Indra had, just like a separate question. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, Hari Boldir Maharaj and devotees. Um, I was wondering if there is any correlation between um, the Dwadasa Gopals and the 12 principal forests. And if there is maybe, and sorry, if there is maybe none of that we know, is there somewhere more, is there somewhere more insight as to why Krishna as the Supreme Creator chooses certain numbers, not just as the magic 108, but why are there exactly six mango swamis, eight mango bees, etc. In short, I was I am wondering if you could tell us um what you have heard about the symbolism of numbers in Vaishnavism. Thank you. Not much. <laughs> I'm not a numerologist. But uh, there are magic numbers from a mathematical point of view. And I did research once on 108, and it's it's it's, it's quite a bit about that um, in all different cultures. Um, so there is something to be said for these numbers, I would think. But I have not studied that, and I have not found anything. I mean, I would be interested to read it, but I have not read any commentaries that elaborate upon that. There may be some texts, uh, Hindu texts, that deal with numbers um, more, um, but they've never been my thing, and math is not my thing either. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can't really say too much about that. Um, but like I said, I did the research on 108, and I was pretty amazed once at all oh, cross culturally in so many ways that this 108 is uh, considered to be a you know, an auspicious number. So there may be something to that as far as, uh, you know, why the 12 forests, why the 12 groups, why the principal group, he says, you ask. Um, but I can't, um, uh, can't reply, uh, conclusively. As far as the other part of your question, is there any relation between the 12 forests and the 12 Gopals? Nothing that I know of has been said about that either. The 12 forests are elaborated upon in the, um, Gopal Tapani Upanishad. And that is not much, but the most I've seen in terms of any elaboration upon the 12 forests um, and doesn't deal with the number 12. So I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the question. So I can remind myself. Yeah, I was also. How little I know. Yes. I was also wondering about that yesterday. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, Pamanabha Swami is putting a verse in the chat um, so we could read that later. Um, and he, yeah, he's he's getting to the English translation, I think. There we go. The body is oh, it's part one. It's a long, I guess it's a long. The body, the total body and the individual body, well, this is a long, long one, part one, part two, says the body, the total body and the individual body are the same composition. And anyway, that body, the total body, may be figuratively called the original tree. From this tree, which fully depends on the ground of material nature, come two kinds of fruits, the enjoyment of happiness, suffering of distress, the cause of the tree, Forming its three roots is association with the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, ignorance. The fruits of bodily happiness have four tastes, religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, liberation, which are experienced through the five senses for acquiring knowledge in the midst of six circumstances, limitation, illusion, old age, death, hunger, and thirst. The seven layers of bark covering a tree are the skin, blood, muscle, fat, bone, marrow, and semen, and the eight branches of the tree are the five gross 
and the three subtle elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, the tree of the body has nine hollows, the eyes of the ears, the eyes, the ears, the nostrils, the mouth, the rectum, and the genitals, and the ten leaves, and ten leaves, the ten airs passing through the body, and this tree of the holy body, oh, excuse me, this tree of the body, are the two birds, in this tree, excuse me, of the body, are the two birds. One is the individual soul, the other is the supreme soul. Sounds like from the, um, um, what is it, the, is it the 15th chapter of the Gita, where the upside down banyan is described? And he says here, 12 and 6 numbers are divisible. 12 and 6 are numbers divisible by 108. So, there's the whole, there's some things, not, not, not so much dealing with the Leela and so on, about numbers there, the reference that he supplied for us. Yogis may know more about this kind of thing. Chakras and numbers. And... So, another question? Um, yeah, Brigu has a question. Dhanavad okay. Gurmaraj. Um, I'm reading reading the Bhakti Ratnakara uh, right now, and uh, uh, reading it, I remembered that Obiel Kapoor, in one of his books, uh, he has some uh, some great soul. I forget who it was. Speak about this book and telling a disciple that the point of the Bhakti Ratnakara is, uh, or, or the theology of the Bhakti Ratnakara is to teach about vicarious bhakti that uh, uh, the best kind of bhakti for a, a householder is to, to support some great saint, so that the great saint kind of does the bhakti for you. Uh, reading the Bhakti Ratnakara, I remember this. I'm not finding such a doctrine in the text directly or indirectly, but I started wondering, is there actually something like that? Because, uh, of course, we know that it, it's... Uh, good in so many ways to serve the great devotees, but um, on the other hand, bhakti is said to be a conscious effort, uh, anushilanam. So so can there be such a thing as, as vicarious bhakti is my question. Yeah, I've never heard that, and I've never, and it's hard for me to imagine that being a theme that consistently runs through Bhakti Ratnakar, which is more of a historical uh, text. And it's a text that I haven't really read, only parts here and there, but still it's hard for me to imagine that. Another, I never heard the concept of vicarious bhakti in, 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 in the way in which you're, you're, you're speaking about it. The only thing that comes to mind for me in, in this regard is the fact that sadhana bhakti is, might be, uh, described as an apprenticeship hmm, within bhakti. Whereas Baba Bhakti is Bhakti proper because Bhakti includes action and, and emotion and ultimately action is driven by emotion and that's spiritual emotion, trans psychological emotion, if you will, Bhava. So without Bhava, you know, how much are you a Bhakta when you don't have all of Bhakti is, is the point. But there is such a thing called a sadhana Bhakti and the sadhakas. Right, according to Rupa Goswami, so they might be thought of more as as, as apprentices, hmm? um, and what they're doing is imitating, in a positive sense, the activities of advanced devotees, serving them, hmm? and and by serving them, you know, growing in their own bhakti. But it's not that their apprenticeship is meaningless, and that it doesn't self count for any bhakti. It is called sadhana bhakti. So it is a form of, of, of bhakti and it is effort, you know, based effort to get grace and so forth. It's interesting that you mention this point in relation to Dr. Kapoor because I believe that um, Dr. Kapoor learned this I'm just thinking of this now because I had many conversations with him from um, the uh, Babaji, Gurangadas Babaji. Hmm? After the 
passing of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthak when the break of Gaudiya Math, Dr. Kapoor, um, as a householder, went to live in Vrindavan. Hmm? And there he came in touch with Gorangadas Babaji without trying. And he was quite uh, startled by his <laughs> bhakti and his uh, endeared. That's uh, the problem. Uh, I know. Uh, by the grace of um, Gorangadas Babaji, who happened to be in Charandas, Radharaman Charandas Babaji's lineage, which Bhakti Vinod took um, exception to with regard to some of the things that Charandas Babaji taught, like particular Nitaigora Adisham Japa Hari Krishna Hari Ram, this, this, this mantra and the story behind that. Um, uh, there's a, there's a small book, uh, written by I Forget Whom, which is biographical about Bhakti Vinod and even, um, Lee Prashad in, in, endorsed or wrote a preface to it. The other, one of his, the younger son of, of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, in which, um, one of the chapters deals with objections of Bhakti Vinod to Charanas Babaji. Interesting, Charanas Babaji taught that Bhakti was inherent in his jiva. I guess he didn't object to that because Bhakti Vinod seemed to teach that as well. Uh, anyway, it's a different Gaudiya group, right? And, to the point, um, Dr. told me that, um, he, he asked Gorongadas Babaji if he should turn his attention to Lila Smarnam at this time in his life. And, and he told him, no, you should publish books and I'll do the Lila Smarnam for you. I'll do the Bhakti for you. And, so it makes sense in terms of what you're, you're talking about. And so he had some, you know, thought about that, some idea about that. He told me of incidents in which after the passing of Garanga Das Babaji, he was taking care of himself, Dr. Kapoor and his wife through these miraculous, you know, events that occurred in their life that if they could trace it out, they could only attribute it to this, you know, his influence. And so he had this, this was his experience. And, um, and there, there seems to be perhaps, you know, but that's where he got this idea of vicarious bhakti to some extent. And there's some, something to it, uh, in a sense. But I, but as you say, I think that, um, we have, we do have to emphasize there is something called sadhana bhakti that does involve effort. On the part of the jiva, and that is, while not the full expression of bhakti, it is nonetheless bhakti that the jiva himself, herself, is doing. Mm. Uh, of course, then you go to another level, the vicarious experience of Radha Bhav and her her romanticism with Krishna. Her experience of it is vicariously experienced by the by the manjari, mm. who has a platonic relationship with Krishna. It's it's full on Madhurya, but she has a platonic, actually romantic, friendly relationship with Krishna, who doesn't want to have any any romant any overt romanticism with him, but experiences vicariously the romanticism that Radha experiences with Krishna. So you have it on that level. <laughs> that seems clear. Does that help? Yes, thank you very much. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, thank you for the question. It looks like you're doing some cooking this morning. Is that correct? Yes, it's evening here. We're making gingerbread cookies for Christmas. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> offer, offer them to Jesus. Yes. <laughs> they look like this. Prince of Peace. Very nice. Very, very nice. And Prabhupada said it is a kitchen religion. Hmm. <laughs> uh, kitchen cooking and under us no. very good all right so there another short question or comment okay. guru maharaj i don't have any more written down but um guru maharaj maybe i don't think so but maybe someone will write something in the chat we're just guru about maharaj? out of time yes 
Pardon me, not yes. Can I ask you briefly some follow-up question to the last thing you mentioned? Yes. I don't know if you will have something to say regarding the idea of, in the in the same way as the Mandaris have a vicarious experience of, of Radha's experience in union with Krishna, how much that can be applied to Priyanarma Saka having a vicarious experience of Krishna's experience in connection to Radha? Yes, I've written about that. And I, and I think that while there is union separation in Sakyaras, yoga, yoga, and, and whatnot, um, which also applies to Manjari Bhav, in Manjari Bhav, there is also the vicarious experience of Radha's uh, union and, and her separation. So while the Manjari experiences yoga and viyoga, union and separation directly with regard to Krishna. That handmaiden also experiences Radha's separation. Hmm? So, similarly, while the Priyanarmasakas had the experience of union and separation with Krishna, their intimacy with Krishna and, and their empathy for and sympathy for his romantic life hmm? allows them to uh, vicariously experience his pangs of um, separation from Krishna, hmm? from Radha. Hmm? And uh, so there, there, there's some similarity hmm, in that regard. Does that answer your question? Yes, maybe I was more wondering concerning the experience of union in this case. Like like the Manjaris experience some of the things that Radha experiences in union with Krishna, even with physical symptoms and whatnot. So I was wondering only, how much that I've only written about the separation. Okay, okay, yeah. We have to enter through separation of Rome. <laughs> well well not only that, no. It, it, it's because they experience it's, uh, to some extent the separation that Krishna's experienced of Radha. They may experience the happiness of his union, but not in, in, with all the romantic details of experience that a Manjari might be said to experience. For example, if Krishna bites the neck with a love bite of Radha, um, I think Raghunathas Goswami has written about it showing up on, on Rupa Manjari. Hmm? And so that's what you're talking about. I think the vicarious experience of the actual romantic union, but the vicarious experience of and the and the tad bhav or anumodana bhav, tad anumodana of which is which is sympathetic love. So the manjari has this kind of of uh, madhurya rasa that it's not with an interest directly in romantic experience with Krishna, but in bringing Radha to Krishna. And vicariously, she experiences the union and the separation. But her anamodana, or the Manjari's anamodana, is different than the Saka's anamodana. Because for the Manjari's, they are experiencing tadbhav or tadanamodana, sympathetic love for Radha and Krishna's romanticism within Madhurya Rasa. So it's direct. Jiva Goswami describes in Preeti Sandarbha, direct talanamo, ramodana above and partial. Hmm? Hmm? Sakshad and Mesha, direct or full and partial. So partial will refer to that type of talanamo that it's experienced in a different rasa. Hmm? So the, 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 the cowherd's friends are in Sakyarasa. They're not in Madhurya Rasa. So they're, therefore, they, they don't experience direct implications of romantic intimacy hmm, uh, in a homoerotic, you know, sense. Hmm. But they, they experience the, uh, indirectly the separation, whereas the Manjaris will experience such that, uh, in terms of the union, that if the love bite is appearing on her neck, the implication is she's experiencing 
all the ecstasies uh, in, that, that underlie that outward, the way that it outwardly expresses itself in, the, in that form. So there's a difference between the, the two. There's a likeness, hmm? but a difference. The difference is because they're in different rasas. So it's full, suckshot, direct, and partial. Does that help? Yes, Guru Maharaj, thank you so much. I see that you're in, in Maruvan. Yes, we are waiting for you here. Yeah, it looks looks nice there. I know it's quite cold here now in California. Here is quite so, nice. So, yeah. See you tomorrow evening then. Yeah. Okay, nice to be with all of you. Thank you for your questions. Thank you. Lord Pranam. Hari Bo. Hari Bo.